guys don't mind, I'm going to pray one more time for us, and then we're going to open up the, uh, the scripture is in your worship guide, I believe. Um, if you have your phone or your Bible with you, we're in Matthew chapter 5 tonight. Um, but if you don't mind, join me in prayer one more time, just to kind of prepare our hearts for what God has for us, and then we'll continue on with our worship service. So Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for, for who you are, that you are a good and loving Father, as Jen said. And uh, we thank you most of all for your son, um, that you would send him to take our place, to take our, our sin and our shame, um, to bring us to reconciliation with you. Um, we thank you that because of him, you have forgiven us and you see us as your children. Um, so we just praise you for that, Lord. We thank you for this time, this evening, um, that you bring your church together, um, to gather together, to to pray together, to sing together, and to hear your word, Lord. Um, so we just ask that you'll be with us throughout the remainder of the evening, that you prepare our hearts and our minds for your word, for what you have for us, and we pray that you'll be glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so I hope you're doing well. Um, big welcome if you're kind of new and joining us, and all of you guys from John City, we're very thankful you all came to come and hung out, hang out with us tonight, right? Thank you, Macintosh group. We definitely appreciate the love that you guys um, have for us. So um, a lot of fun to be here together, all, all of us all at once. So we love it. Um, as I said, we're in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have something to turn there, you're welcome to. If not, I think it's in your worship guide. Um, so what we've been doing this year as um, a, a core group, whenever we come together for these worship nights, we've been traveling through the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 of Matthew. Um, and it carries on past that all the way through 7, but that's kind of where we've been so far. Um, so it's been a really good journey looking at just what Jesus has taught us as to what it means to be his followers. Um, anything from the characteristics of what it means to be a Christian in the Beatitudes to our actions, what they should look like and how we should kind of differ from the rest of the world. Um, and certainly we can see in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has called us to a higher standard, kind of called us to be set apart. That's what the church is. They are the, the set apart ones. Um, so we want to be vastly different from the culture and the world around us. Um, but as we kind of discussed last month, whenever we got together, um, we, we kind of realized for ourselves, I know for myself personally, we have a propensity to work for God's love and forgiveness. And so thankfully, Jesus obviously knew that. And so in his sermon, he, he talked about how he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Um, what that means is he has taken our place. He's done what we could not do. He lived up to the standards of God's law perfectly um, and took our place for that. Um, so he has given us through him, through the Holy Spirit, the power to also kind of then step into and obey things. So we don't have to do it for his love, for his forgiveness. That's all done, bought, paid for, right? But because of his forgiveness, in the last few months going through chapter 5, and tonight we're at the very end of chapter 5. Um, not the end of the Sermon Mount, but the end of chapter 5. And it continues to call us to this higher standard. So the last two passages of, of Matthew chapter 5 um, contain the final two antitheses. So that's just like this big weird word, because I'm an English teacher, I like big weird words, right? Um, so an antithesis is just like something that's the opposite of what you expect or what you mean in a sense. Um, so there's, he's using that all throughout chapter 5. We get to the last two here. So Jesus is using the phrase things like, you have heard that it was said, but I say. Right, And so what he's doing is kind of those phrases are going against each other. And so what he is doing and saying those things is he is pitting the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees against his own teaching, his own authority. Right, He's putting himself up against them. Here's what you've heard these guys say, but here's what I say. This is my authority. And so that's what he's been doing throughout chapter 5. That's what he's doing here in these last two sections as well. So he's correcting the doctrine that the Israelites have been given um, that have been kind of incorrectly taught. 
Um, because what the scribes and the Pharisees tended to do was to take God's law and kind of tweak it um, to kind of fit what they, what they needed, what they wanted. Um, for instance, you can go back and look in, in, in Deuteronomy, and God's law lays out this principle of exact retrib- retribution. You've heard it before. That's like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth kind of thing, right? Um, so that was meant to be for the judges of Israel, right? For like the courts and the law, that sort of thing. But what was kind of being done with that was it was being taken into personal relationships, where if you do something to me, I can do something back to you. That's kind of what was going on with that. And so Jesus is coming in and kind of correcting where things were incorrect and and saying like here's what it said and here's what it really means on a deeper level so it's kind of what he's doing all throughout chapter five and that's what he's doing here at the end as well he's kind of correcting that and so for for tonight as you can see um, we're looking at verses 43 through 48 but i also want to go ahead and read the passage before that because it kind of correlates together it's important for us Um, so if you don't have access to a Bible or anything, you can listen to that first section, and then I'm just going to go straight into tonight's passage as well. Um, so I'm in chapter five, starting in verse 38. And Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And then tonight's passage in your scriptures there. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For if he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust... For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that last, last, last phrase there really kind of hones in like, man, he is really calling us to something. And so I want to walk through this passage tonight and really kind of break down what is it that Jesus is saying to his listeners and to us and how does that affect us in our world today? So you can imagine, you know, for the crowds that are hearing Jesus kind of teaching this way is probably at least a little bit surprising, right? Because he's taken these, these phrases and these teachings that they had kind of learned or grown up with and kind of recorrecting them, right? So resetting the course. Um, taking things that were kind of slightly incorrect and correcting them. So he's, he's saying things like, you know, culture is telling you seek revenge. Place matters into your own hands, right? And that's something I feel like we probably have in our own culture as well, where we kind of grew up in, in hearing and believing that if something if somebody does something to us, we're supposed to do something about it ourselves. That's kind of like our culture, I feel like. That's what I grew up with at least a little bit. And so Jesus is correcting this principle. He doesn't get rid of this principle of retribution. He doesn't say that it's bad. Right? He doesn't, he's not abolishing the law, um, but he is teaching what is meant for and what it was. Instead, he's taking like the personal relationships that they were using incorrectly and tell, telling them to either not react a specific way or to react in love. And that's kind of what he's doing here. So these last two passages, the one before tonight, it's kind of what is a passive response where he's saying like, if somebody does something to you, don't react, right? They slap you on one cheek, give them the other, right? Don't react. Don't do anything. But the passage we're focused on tonight is actually an active response or an, an action where he's telling us to love. So he's actually going above and beyond what he said in the previous passage as well. And so essentially he's saying, hey, when it comes to your enemies, 
Go big or go home, right? Not only are you to offer the other cheek to somebody else in return, I mean, that's really easy, right? Ultimately, you can kind of do that in your own power and even feel a little bit good about yourself, right? Some of you guys may be thinking like, man, Sam just keeps asking me to do this and do this and do this. But since I'm a good person, you know, bless his heart, I'm just going to smile and do, do it for him, right? Ultimately, you can make that about yourself to some degree, the whole like, don't react in a bad way. But to actually love your enemies, I mean, that just takes it to a whole new level that for a lot of us, that's really, really hard to do. And so you can look at this and just think like, seriously, Jesus, you want me to love my enemies? You got to be joking, right? So here's the issue in this passage, right? If you have a pen, you're taking notes, you don't have to. But if you are, like, here's the thing that you need to be aware of in this passage, this whole idea of loving your enemies. You, want, you know what the secret is? You can't do it. You cannot love your enemies. How do you like that? Can't do it. Can't be done. Done. Let's go home. Just kidding. But no, it can't be done, right? So remember, I'm not saying that you're unable to do things for other people, right? Obviously, you can do good things, and God has called you to do so. Um, Again, some of that you can do on your own in your own power. But the truth is, you and I can never love our enemies in our own power. And it's not just your enemies, right? It could be people that annoy you and love you. Um, but just so we get on the same page, this idea of enemies, because I don't know about you, I don't really think of a whole lot of people. I don't have a long list of enemies, I don't think. There may be some I don't know about, but I don't have a running list, right? Um, so just to, to define the word enemy, I looked it up, merriam Worcester Dictionary, old school, right? Um, it says an enemy is somebody that is antagonistic towards another person, especially someone seeking to injure, overthrow, or confound an opponent, something that is harmful or deadly, a military adversary, or a hostile unit or force. So that's like pretty strong, right? So I don't know about you, but I, again, I don't have anybody on that list. And you may be scratching your head thinking like, well, if I don't have any enemies, I'm, I'm good to go in this passage, right? I can just skip over and keep going. But even if you don't have these enemies, what you can kind of see by Jesus saying, love your enemies, is you can kind of understand the level that he's calling us to love, Right? Ultimately, he's, you know, this principle can be applied on a broader spectrum. Because what he's saying is, right, if you can love somebody that is your opponent, your adversary, somebody that's setting out to do something wrong to you, some sort of harm, then you can certainly love everybody in between, right? So even if you're thinking, I don't have any enemies, ultimately Jesus is saying, love everyone to the point that if somebody hates your guts, love them too. So he's taking it to this big, huge level that none of us can reach on our own. We are incapable to love everyone, especially our enemies. So you can't do it. We cannot love selflessly. And I mean, you know, the the good things that we even do, those are inherently selfish and sinful, right? You can look elsewhere in Scripture. So in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Some translations actually say that, that is, um, our, our good deeds are as filthy rags. And if you don't know exactly what is meant by the word filthy rags in that section, you go look it up. I'm not going to tell you about it. But basically, it just means that compared to the righteousness of Christ, anything good that we do is worthless. It is nothing. So it doesn't matter what we do, how good we think that we are. It is nothing compared to Jesus. And we cannot love as he loves. You see, the issue is, the reason that we cannot truly love our enemies and everyone else is we are too selfish. 
you and I, we are caught up in either who we are or who we are not and how other people perceive us or how they might perceive us, how we think they might perceive us. We are too self-centered to be able to love our enemies. And our culture, like ancient Israel has already said, it teaches us to hate our enemies, right? I mean, you just look at all the countless movies that deal with revenge. You can look at things like The Godfather or Braveheart or Gladiator or Taken, right? A bunch of good dude movies or any of you guys that are Marvel fans, The Avengers, right? It's all about avenging and revenge. So all of these movies, so much more in our culture is ultimately whispering to us that we are to take matters into our own hands, to avenge ourselves, to hate our enemies. The world says if somebody bullies you, you put a stop to it and do something in return. I mean, certainly the American Revolution is still kind of in our blood, right? If somebody takes advantage of you, you avenge yourself. Better yet, you make them pay in return. That's what culture says. And if you don't think that's true, watch little kids for like five minutes, right? I mean, somebody comes and takes a little kid's toy, they're either going to scream and cry and go and tattle and tell an adult, or they're going to go over to that kid, grab the toy, and smack him with it upside the head for good measure, right? Not my kids, right? But no, that's, that's ultimately what the world does, right? That's our sinful nature. You and I, we cannot love our enemies. We're not good enough. But thankfully, through the gospel, we can see that God did not leave us to ourselves, right? He never leaves us to ourselves. And so the good news, and you're going to want to write this down if you're taking notes, the good news is that Jesus is able to love perfectly. He alone is able to love perfectly. He alone can selflessly love his enemies. You see, he was beaten and then murdered on a Roman cross, and he never once condemned his enemies. Instead, you know what he did? He prayed for them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's found in Luke 23. You see, he loved his enemies so much that he prayed to the Father on their behalf while he was dying so that God would forgive them. Jesus loves perfectly. And in case you've forgotten, the truth is, the truth of the matter is that you and I, aside from Christ, we are enemies of God, right? So there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 2, it's 11 through 22, so it's quite a few verses. I'm going to go ahead and read all of it to you because I think it really paints a good picture for us and reminds us the truth of who we once were without Christ or who we are outside of him. So Ephesians chapter 2 says, Therefore remember that at one time, which is made Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called a circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were once far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what God's word teaches us is that we were once foreigners. We were far off. We were exiles. We had no hope in ourselves, and it was our sin, your sin and my sin, that put Jesus on that cross. It was our sin that held him there. And yet, the good news of the gospel is that he loved us enough to die for us. He paid that ultimate price for our sins, even though we were his enemies. And by his love and his sacrifice, we are no longer enemies. We are now sons and daughters of God. The Father loved us enough to send his Son, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life, or should not perish but have everlasting life. See, the good news is that Jesus loves us perfectly. And he has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the free gift of God. See, he loves you selflessly, and he loves you perfectly. So what do we do with a passage like this? And how do we apply it to our lives, right? After we understand the gospel. And what is our responsibility? So again, not just our responsibility, like don't put on yourself to work for God's love and forgiveness, right? That's already been done. That's already been paid for. He fulfilled the law. He met the requirements the law required. So we're no longer under anything that requires us to work for God's love and forgiveness. But because of what he has already done, the spirit living in us, we are enabled to do what he has called us to do, right? And that's why we can look at a passage like this, understanding the gospel, and we can step into it, understanding that God has called us to something. He's called us to a higher standard, and he's called us out of the world to be separate from the world. And ultimately, if we understand that we are truly saved and that the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we have the freedom to step into God's commands. It's no longer a burden for us, right? It is now a freedom that we can step into for his glory. So having that in mind, looking at our responsibility in this passage, I think that we can see three basic things that Jesus is calling us to do in regards to loving our enemies. So if you're taking notes, I promise I'm going to say three things. I made sure. So the first thing that Jesus is telling us to do in terms of loving our enemies, he says, pray for them. So if you look back in verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's black and white is right there, right? You can't miss it. So what does it mean to love your enemy? It means that you pray for your enemy. And again, this takes loving your enemy to a whole new level. I mean, think about it for a minute. Who do you spend most of your time praying for? Is it Yourself and your family, it's probably true for me. Is it maybe some, some close friends, maybe even a coworker, right? Maybe your community group if you're part of one. Maybe your church, or perhaps even like if you're really going big, you might pray for the corporate church across the world, right? But how many of you guys think of somebody that you could probably put in the category of hates you or maybe doesn't care about you? How many times do you pray for that kind of person? But ultimately, that's what Jesus is saying, right? Because here's the thing. A Christian, a son or a daughter of God, 
they pray for their enemies. And I know that sounds a little bit harsh, right? But look back at the, look back at the text. Look at verse 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, if you read over that verse a little bit too quickly, it sounds a lot like salvation through works, right? It sounds like if you do the right thing, you're going to be saved. But remember, Jesus has already fulfilled all that stuff. He's met those requirements, and we are now free. So ultimately, what this verse is saying is that praying for our enemies signifies to those around us that we are sons and daughters of God. It shows the world who we are. And the Holy Spirit enables us to do this because, again, those people that don't like you or even if you don't have somebody that's in the category of an enemy, right? Maybe it's somebody in the middle that you're like, I have no clue who this random person at Walmart is, right? You're still called to love and pray for those people. And God helps you to do that. The world is able to see that we are his children because of that, and they're going to, for our good actions, they're going to see love, and they're going to give him glory for it. They're going to pray who you are in heaven for our good works. Christian does not retaliate, a Christian prays for their enemies. And just another important kind of side note about praying for your enemies, or praying for anyone for that matter, what it does for you is it softens your heart towards them. Have you ever felt bitterness in your heart for another person for whatever reason, right? Maybe they got a promotion that you didn't get, or maybe they said something a little harsh. Um, maybe your spouse said something in a text message that just wasn't so loving, right? And it might be hard in that moment to, to think about loving them. Because, you know, for some of those people, those weird neighbors, you know, you might go a little bit out of your way to try to just have no contact with them, right? That's the easy thing to do. That's the kind of the natural thing that we, we end up doing. But if you obey this command, you're going to pray for those people. You're going to pray for your enemies, and you're going to pray for everybody in between. And as you do that, God's going to begin to help you to see them as he sees them as his sons and daughters or his you know, potential brothers and sisters in Christ for us. We're going to see them as he sees them. And we're going to, he's going to develop our hearts for those people as we pray for them. So how do you love your enemy? You pray for them, right? That's number one. Pray that God redeems them like Jesus. So number two, how else do you love your enemy? You seek to meet their needs. And you can see this in a couple of different ways in this passage, right? So first, we can see this in how God provides, right? So it talks about how God makes his son to rise on everyone and how he sends his reign to everyone, right? To the just and to the unjust. And so both these things, these natural resources, they're given by God to everyone to provide. We need the sun and we need the rain in order to provide for the world in which we live. And so what these things are known as, it's something that's called common grace, And common grace, it can be defined as the grace of God, which gives people innumerable blessings that are not a part of salvation. So these are just everyday gifts that God gives to all people, right? And it's different from saving grace, which is the grace that God gives to bring you to the point of salvation. So God, he provides for everyone, the good and the bad, right? He provides for those who are technically his enemies as we are outside of Christ, So if God does that in the same way, we should seek to kind of meet the needs of other people, to step into those moments, even people that we would consider to be our enemies. And secondly, we can see that we are to to meet the needs of our enemies um, and that we should have a giving heart. So if you look at verse 46, it says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And so what was the job of a tax collector in ancient Israel? 
pretty much the same as the IRS today, right? They're taking your money, right, for Uncle Sam. So that's what the, these, these people were doing, these tax collectors. They would take money for the Roman um, government that was in control of Israel during this time. But the thing that made these tax collectors so bad is they would take extra, right? They wouldn't just take what they were supposed to. They would take extra on top of that in order to have it for themselves and to, to kind of, you know, hoard it for themselves and to be selfish and to steal, and we can see this, too, if you look elsewhere in scriptures, you look at the story of Zacchaeus, right? Where he essentially confesses this whenever he meets Jesus, and he says, hey, anybody that I have cheated out of their taxes, I will give back four times what I've stolen from them. So this verse is saying that, you know, even tax collectors, they're going to love those that love them, right? So I would imagine if I was a tax collector and I stole money from myself, if my little, you know, grandma came up to me and I had to take her taxes, I'm probably not going to steal from her, right? So even a tax collector is going to love somebody that loves them in return. So if you're only loving those that, are, that you that who love you, right? If you only love those that are similar to you, what good is that, right? Anybody can do that. But the children of God, they're going to love those that are considered their enemies. So let's have a giving and a serving heart, right? Just like our Savior calls us to. That is loving our enemy. And the third way that we can see from this passage that we're to love our enemies is to greet them. So if you look at verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Now this idea of, of greeting people or greeting your enemies might sound a little bit strange, right? Like what exactly does it mean by greeting? Well, I think, you know, the basic premise is more than just a simple hello. It's, it could be, it's a little bit broader than that. And ultimately what Jesus is telling us is that we should make an effort to interact with those that are outside of our Christian community. So, I mean, think about who you spend the bulk of your time with. Is it going to be, you know, your friends and your family, people that look a lot like you, act a lot like you, believe the things that you do? Your church and your community group and those kind of friends? Well, Jesus says that even the Gentiles are going to do the similar sort of thing, right? Even those that are outside of the body of, of God, the body of Christ, are going to interact with people that are similar to them, that look like them. But he's calling us to be uncomfortable for the gospel's sake. You know, certainly we, it's good to have those communities, right? We need that support. But God has called us to be in the world, to interact with those that are far from Jesus and far from community. And I think that's what he's saying by, by greeting the people, by greeting your enemies. And, uh, you know, again, a lot of us, it's really, really easy to find excuses to not do these things. We're all very, very busy in today's culture. We fill our free time with all these other activities, right? We're running this way and that way. We're doing this for work and for all these other activities, for our kids, all this sort of stuff. And we don't really make an effort to speak to those that are different from us or maybe just those that are not a part of our community, right? I mean, have you ever stood in line at, at grocery store and you go to the checkout counter and you just do what you got to do, right? It's like, hey, how are you? Swipe your card and you get out, right? Or maybe you shop online and so we don't have to do that at all, right? Or how many times have you sat down to, at a restaurant and you order a meal from your server and you don't really acknowledge them that much, right? Two seconds later, you can't even remember their name because that's just part of their spiel that they give you when they show up. But ultimately, if you, you know, pay attention and you do what God is calling you to here, you can step into those moments and you think like that all the time at ETSU when I went there as a student. If you walk across campus as a student at ETSU, what 99% of the people do, they have earbuds in their ears, they're looking down either at their feet or their cell phone, and they're making a beeline to the next class, right? It's very rare that anybody would look at me enough that I could say hello or give them the dude nod, right, as they walk by. 
is pretty rare to get that. And that's what we, we tend to do in our, in our own lives as well. But ultimately what Jesus is saying, and greet your enemies, he's ultimately saying like, greet everyone. Say hello. Start a conversation. Because what you're doing in those moments is you're opening up opportunity to share the love of Christ with those people. So are you willing to interact with people that are different from you? Are you willing to be uncomfortable and inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel and for the name of Jesus? Loving your enemies means that you love everyone. It means you're going to pray for others, both inside and outside of the body of Christ. And it means you're going to seek to meet their physical needs. And it means that you're going to interact with people that are outside of those communities. Because as you do that, it opens up doors for the gospel to be shared and for the love of Jesus to be shared. And make no mistake, it's going to be hard to do these things because it requires a lot of time. It really slows things down. It requires slow and oftentimes the painful process of trying to build relationships with people that are maybe a little bit different than you and investing in those people as well that are in your spheres of influence. It requires being in the community in which you live as well. But if you do these things through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, everyone will know that you are a son and daughter of God. And they will see your love. They will see your good works. They will see how you interact with other people. And that's going to be infectious. Like, I want what they have. And it's going to give you the opportunity to step in and to share what it is that you have that they don't. It's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. And it's who God has called us to be. So here's my, my challenge for us as we kind of wrap up with this passage. The first thing I want you to do is to just search your own hearts. And it's going to take more than just a couple seconds right here. I want you to take the next few days. It's really easy to walk out of places like this and say, that was great. You know, praise God for his word. But I want you to actually take this with you, search your heart, spend a little time with God and say, okay, God, reveal or maybe just show me if there are people that I've just kind of been ignoring, right, in my own life. And he's going to start to show those people, right? They're going to become very, very obvious. Probably they're going to start showing up in your life a lot more often. But take some time and, and pray for that and then begin praying for those people. Because remember, you and I, we were once enemies of God, right? We were once strangers to Christ, just as a lot of people in our community are as well. So let's not ignore these people. Let's not treat them as if they're outsiders or enemies. But let's begin to step into their lives as God has called us to. Maybe, you know, instead for some of us, you may be realizing that you yourself, maybe you're far from God and you didn't realize it before. Maybe you're seeing for the first time that it's you that is far from Jesus and that you're kind of on the outside in a sense. So if that's you, just realize that Jesus has prayed for you and he loves you. He gave his life for you and took your place. And he gives that as a free gift to you, and you have the opportunity to take that. So if you ever have any questions about that, anybody in this room would be happy to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. And certainly, finally, for all of us, right, we have the opportunity to respond to this passage as well. And that's what we're going to do in just a second. We're going to take communion together. And so, you know, what that means is we have the opportunity just to, to pray together and to thank God that he has rescued us and redeemed us that the work that Jesus did is finished in our place and we can proclaim that over ourselves and over our lives and then we can then take that with us and step into our week and then be who it is that God has called us to be, to do these hard things of praying for those that are far from us, that 
our enemies or maybe meeting their needs or a simple hello the next time we're at a store somewhere. So this table for us, it's a, it's a table of celebration, right? Because the work of Christ is finished in our place. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to move to the table just a second and um, break the element, have Mike come up, sort of thing. But so we're just going to have to you kind of how we're going to have tonight. Um, we're going to have Mike come up with me. And, um, and at Redstone, we really love to kind of circle up in groups. Um, for us, the Elizabethan group, we tend to do this in a big group, but since there's a whole bunch of us, and it's like half of us, um, just encourage you to get into smaller groups together. Um, if you don't have a group, well, you're welcome to join somebody. If you want to pray by yourself for, for a little while, that's totally fine as well. Um, but just know that those kind of moments are, are those, those spaces are open to you.